Are you thirsty tonight? Are you thirsty? I'm looking out and I see some of you have grabbed a little bottle of water. You know what it's like to be really thirsty? I mean, I'm not talking about just mildly thirsty. I'm talking about just raging thirst. You've been in that situation, perhaps you've been out in the sun, out in the heat, doing some work, doing some, perhaps some lawn yard work. You're out there and it's, you know, it's Florida and it's hot and it's sunny and you're trying to just do stuff and it's just like, man, have you ever been there where you're so thirsty that it's like, man, I got to, I got to get something to drink and I got to lay down. You know, I need to lay down. That's the type of thirst I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about, oh yeah, just bring me a, bring me a water with lemon, please. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a raging thirst. You know that everyone that, who is alive thirsts. We need water to keep us alive. No person can survive more than a few days without water. It is vitally important. If you were on a deserted island with no food or water and someone came by and offered you a bunch of food or a bunch of water, you'd do better to take the water to see if you could make it a few more days and maybe, you know, do some spear fishing, you know, do that like, Tom Hanks castaway thing and, you know, crab. I always was amazed when he got back to land and he walked into the FedEx, had like a whole spread for him, and there were like the crab legs. And it was like, who did this? Who put crab legs on the table? But everyone thirsts and you need water to quench that thirst. And in the same way, every person on the face of the earth has a spiritual thirst. They, they don't know it. Some people aren't aware of it. Some are. But every single person has a spiritual thirst. And this spiritual thirst, let's put it this way, it's a longing down in the heart of every single person for God, for the creator, for the one who made them. And the problem is that there are many people that have never had this thirst quenched. They have tried to quench it. It's been said, I believe it was, it was maybe Pascal who said that, that, that we have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. And that, that, that God-shaped hole, is, is, is a, is a, it's a hole in our hearts that only God can fill. But the, 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 the situation is that you can, try to fill, you can try to fit other things in there. And that's what most people do. They don't realize that that, that longing in their heart, that thirst in their lives is, is for the Lord, is for, for, the, for the God of, 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 of creation. And so they try to fill it up with everything else. It could be, it could be um, material possessions. It, it could be uh, other relationships. It could be uh, career. And nothing is wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. The only thing is those things are not going to fulfill the longing that you have in your heart that is for God and is a thirst for God. There are many people that have not had this thirst quenched. There are others who perhaps at one time had that thirst quenched. They had perhaps an encounter with God. They had a time perhaps in their past, in their upbringing, where they were close to God. 
But things have gone a long way since then, and now they are very far from God. And they're out there living their life, and they're in that category of kind of having had tasted the water, but not uh, having that thirst quenched now. And both of these people need to have the living water. Amen? Both of these people need to have the living water of the Spirit of God in their life because that's the only thing that's going to, to dry, to quench that thirst. Somehow God in his sovereignty and his infinite wisdom has decided a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, <laughs> he decided that he was going to use us to be a vehicle to deliver the living water to other people. And this is his plan. We're, we're to be a part of God's plan in bringing the living water, of offering the living water to those around us. God wants to use us, you and me, to tell other people about the living water of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit. The reality is that, and I'm not going to throw out a percentage, but it's very low. It's a very low percentage of people that see themselves as being a part of that plan and, and, and actively involved in that plan of God of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, the cross, the gospel, and the living water to those around them. And there are many reasons why this is, why many Christians are not actively involved in evangelism, of, in being a witness. One of the reasons is that people are not confident in sharing their faith is perhaps that they have questions about their faith. <laughs> and so, man, I got my own questions. How am I going to answer anybody else's questions? How, how am I going to be used by God to answer questions. Many Christians today feel that evangelism is something that they're not called to, that there's a group of people within the church that are called to evangelism, but they're not a part of that group. They're a Christian, but I'm not in that group that's called to evangelism. Greg Laurie, you know who Greg Laurie is? Uh, he pastors a church in Southern California. It's called Harvest Christian Fellowship. And uh, anyways, and he also does huge evangelistic crusades. In fact, he's got, a, he's got one coming up. Uh, it's called Harvest America. He, he, uh, so anyways, he does these big crusades. He's got one coming up uh, in Dallas, uh, and he's going to be at the AT&T Stadium. And he's actually, done, he's actually done it there before he's been there at AT&T Stadium, which is the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And uh, so anyways, he said this. Every Christian may not be called to be an evangelist, but every Christian is called to evangelism. Every Christian may not be called to be an evangelist, to hold that office, one of the fivefold gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church, but every Christian is called to evangelism. Well, what in the world is evangelism? <laughs> That's a good question. Evangelism is communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ. This can be done in very in a lot of ways. It can be done 
in, in speaking, in the spoken word. It can be done in writing. It can be done in music. It can be done in art. It can be done in, in um, you know, just reaching out and helps and then being able to have that door open to where uh, the communication of the gospel can take place. But evangelism takes place when the message of the gospel is communicated. Amen? This is what evangelism is. Here's the question then. If you were asked to communicate the gospel to someone right now, if Jesus walked in the room and said, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to walk across the street. There's a man over there. His name is Jeff, and he's got some shorts on, and he's got a, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I want you to walk over there, and I want you to communicate my love to him. I want you to communicate the gospel. Here's the question. Could you do it? Are you, do you have a sense of an understanding, enough of an understanding of the gospel to be able to do that? Now, when I just asked that, how many felt panic? Nobody? Okay. Either you're all lying or we're in good shape here. All right. Remember, I said there's, there's, two, there's two possibilities there. We're either in really good shape or we've got some other issues to deal with. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me break it down this way. And I'm going to actually provide this to you in a, in a little handout. I don't have it tonight, but I'm going to have it. I'll have it for you on the weekend. And it is the gospel in a nutshell. What is the gospel? This is it. It's like four, four, three or four points, okay? Number one, every person is a sinner and has fallen short of God's glory. And because of this, every person is in a desperate situation, deserving total separation from God, who is light, and from him flows all that is good. Number two, God sent his son Jesus into the world to take him in, upon himself the punishment for your sins, Jesus willingly became the sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have a relationship through God, with God through Jesus. Number three, if you repent of your sins and believe upon Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you believe upon Christ and receive him into your life, you will be saved. And now you, that person is baptized into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, and they just simply need to be plugged into a fellowship. They need to grow in the word. They need to grow in prayer and communication with God and discipleship and fellowship. Amen? And that is the gospel. Just, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to just break it down real simple so that you can kind of understand it. Um, you know, some people feel, well, I don't have a Bible degree and I don't, I don't know, you know, Romans road and, and all this. And I, I don't, where, where do we no, The basic it's, it's man is separated from God. God did something about that separation by sending Jesus Christ to pay the price, to pay the penalty of our sins. And if you receive that sacrifice, if you receive Christ and what he did for you on the cross, you can be saved and you come into the family of God into the church of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. We have a responsibility to share the gospel, the good news with those around us. We have, in fact, we have a commission. It's, it's called the Great Commission. 
And we're to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. We're to make disciples of, of people. We're to make disciples of people. And, and we need to be, in order to do that, we need to be a witness. We need to be a person of, of witness. The best way to develop into a person of witness is to learn from the ultimate witness, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, again, and I've said this all the way through these, these weeks, that he doesn't ask us to do anything that he didn't show us exactly how to do. Amen? And he's the perfect witness, and so there's no better person to learn from than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to take... Um, we're going to go back to John chapter 4, and we're going to see the master in action delivering the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The account is of Jesus meeting and talking with the woman at the well of Sychar in Samaria. And we will learn um, what it takes to be a person of witness. Amen? So if you're taking notes, the first point if you're going to become a person of witness, is this. You have to actually desire to go. You have to desire to be a person of witness. You have to desire to go. So let's look at the text. John chapter 4. Pick it up, verse 1. It says this. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John... Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, Give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. If you're going to become a, a person of witness, you've got to have the desire to. <laughs> Amen? You've got to have the desire to go. Let's put it this way. We have to have the desire, the sense of mission to meet people, to be involved in some way of bringing the gospel, of sharing the gospel. Here we have Jesus and the disciples and leaving Judea and heading up to the north to Galilee. And if you, you have to, to understand this story, you have to understand the geography of Israel. Okay? So just real quick, you have Judea in the south, 
You have Galilee in the north, and in between you had this county called Samaria. And the Jews, if they went from Judea to Galilee, you didn't go through Samaria. Because Samaria was an area where it was like, you know, those people, the Samaritans. And you didn't do that. And so what the Jews would do would actually, they would go the long way. They would, you know, the old saying, the straightest, the, 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 the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Not for a Jew heading from Judea to Galilee. They would go way out of their way so that they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. So Jesus and the disciples are heading that way, and it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Look at it. Uh, Verse 4, it is. Uh, Let's look at verse 3. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. Uh, what's Jesus doing? Going through Samaria? What do you, do you not know? Do you not know that you don't do that? No, 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 he knew. But he needed to go through Samaria. And what this shows us is that, you know, Jesus breaks down, you know, any, any and every wall, <laughs> you know, that would divide humanity, uh, you know, you know, he's, he's a wall breaker and he's going to like chip gains. He's going to demo the wall. He's going to bring it down. And, and so, and what the walls I'm talking about are not physical walls. The walls I'm talking about are walls of divisions of people, racial walls and other types of walls, gender walls, all those walls get torn down in Jesus. So he's going through Samaria and he's going to talk. He's going to have a a divine appointment. He's going to talk with this woman. Now, just a little bit about the Samaritans, because if you're wondering, what is the Samaritan? You said, well, they were those people. And let me just give you a little bit of the background. In the year 722 BC, this is back at the Let's just call it, you know, the rebellion of Israel is in just kind of full steam at this particular point. And God had been warning them through the prophets for a long time that, hey, you know, if, if you don't come back to me, if you don't serve me, if you don't want me to be your God, bad stuff is going to happen. And God allowed the Assyrians to come in and to really kind of do damage to the northern tribes the 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 kingdom of Israel had been divided at that at that time into you know the northern tribes and the southern tribes and in the north you had 10 tribes and so the Assyrians came in in 722 and they took a lot of the those from the those 10 tribes they took a lot of them captive but there were some of them that remained and then the Assyrians did this they sent a lot of their people in and what happened was the Assyrians that came into that area, into that, those northern areas, mixed with the Jews of the 10 tribes that were there, and thus creating a, a, mixed, uh, a mixed race, okay? And so, and, and so thus, the Samaritans. So you had the Samaritans. And they were considered 
you know, half-breeds. They were considered, you know, not pure Jews. They were looked down upon. They were in, in some ways despised. And so over time, the Samaritans had actually created their own version of Judaism, and they had created their own uh, worship center there on Mount Gerizim and all of it. So they had done this. So uh, Jesus is, you know, heading right into this, and he's going against the, the whole norms of, you know, these racial separations and all of it. So he says, I, I, it says he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go to Samaria. The word for needed there in verse four is a Greek word. It's a Greek word, day, D-E-I, and it means it is necessary and there is need. It is right and proper. And so the, he, he had this need. It was necessary there was something within him that was a desire that he was going to Samaria. And if we're going to be people of witness, we must see that it's necessary. We must have a desire. We must, must see that it's right and proper that, that we go to, to deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that we go perhaps to Samaria, not literally Samaria, or, or although you may want to do that if God calls you to that, but it may be some other type of Samaria. It may be just across the street or across the room. It may be that close. And so we need to do that. We need to have that feeling of necessity. Do you, do you feel that? Do you feel that? Jesus, when he gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he tells us, he tells us to go and make disciples. You've heard it. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations and teaching them to obey, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, right? So what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples. So a lot of people, when they read that, and it's been taught uh, this way, and, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not picking at it in, in, in any way, because I mean, definitely, we need to go. We need to go. But the inference in the language there, the imperative is not go. The imperative is to make disciples. The, the language, the way it reads in the Greek is it's, it's actually inferred that you're going. It's, it's almost, it could read this way, as you're going, like you're going anyways, as you go, make disciples. So the imperative is on the making of disciples. And what's happened is we've kind of made it about going, but, but we need to be going anyways. And in fact, you're already going. You're already going all over the place today. You've gone and gone and gone and gone and gone and gone and gone, and now you're here. And so you're going. We are all going through life, and we need to be a person of witness as we're going. And we need to see that. Now, I'm not saying anything in any way to take away from the imperative of that we need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? We need to do that and that. We're going to get to that verse. It's found in Mark. We're going to get to that at the end, okay? So not taking it away from all that. I think it's both. I think it's go into all the world, go to the ends of the earth, go to the remote places and preach the gospel. But you know what? You have a world that you're going through every day. And as you're going, be a person of witness. Have a sense of necessity of what is needed to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to bear upon the, the lives of those around you. So we need to go. We need to have the desire to go. 
And Jesus had that desire. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, when you go through your world, offer the living water. Be a person who's tasted the living water. If you, I mean, if you're a Christian, have you tasted the living water? I mean, have you, have you've got inside of you a river of living water flowing up coming up from inside of you and, and, and gushing out. I mean, we used to sing all kinds of songs about this. When I was growing up, it was like, you know, spring up, oh well, gush, gush, you know, within my soul, right? You remember these songs? You know, do you have the living water springing up from within you? Christian, if you do, wow, let some of it spill out and sprinkle onto somebody else around you. Let some of it out. Don't be like, you know, a well that's got a lid on it, a cap on it. Like we just talked about Jacob and he had to come up and he manhandled the top of that well. Just move the top of that off and just let some of that living water come up. And give it to somebody else. Give it to somebody else. Because they need it. It can be as simple as asking someone if you can pray for them. This a lot of times opens the door to talk with someone concerning their needs. And, you know, you may get a closed door. You may get somebody, no, I don't want to pray. But a lot of times people will allow you to pray for them. And if, they're, and if, they, if the door kind of, you know, the door may kind of creak barely open. But sometimes you never know. The door might kind of just swing wide open. And the next, time, next thing you know, they're sharing with you you know, a deep need, and you're able to share with them that you have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ and that you, and that you serve the Lord and that he has an answer for their situation. And in that sense, it can be very effective. It, and sometimes, in some ways, it can be just about talking about life, um, talking when somebody asks you a question, or you just, you know, I've always been like this, you know, I mean, I'm going to be so full of the word of God you know, just in my own personal devotion and study and you guys too and hearing and receiving and being in the word that, you know, some of that's got to come up too. <laughs> you know, it's not only the water of the Holy Spirit, not only is it that fountain that's, you know, down kind of in the center of your life, but it's also the word of God is being so filled up in your life that that's going to come out too. I mean, actually, whatever it is that you're filling your life and your mind and your heart and your spirit with, that's going to be the, one of the first things that comes up in conversation. So if it's always the latest movie, if it's always the latest teaching, no, nothing wrong with that, okay? Infinity Wars, we're going to figure that out. And what happened? Nobody knows what, you know, okay? It, that's all great. But... But at some point, the word of God has got to come out too. And if we're putting so much word in and there's barely any word coming out, we need to rectify that situation because if we'll just begin to speak. And I always tell, tell, told people this. When you hear a message and you say, wow, what a great word, what a great word, go give somebody the five-minute version. And you don't have to tell them, let me give you the five-minute version from my, my um, pastor's sermon on Wednesday. You can just tell them like it's yours. You received it. It's God's word. Own it. Amen. <laughs> Own it. Own it. And, 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 and just speak it out. You know, hey, man, have you ever saw this? Have you ever seen this in Genesis? Have you ever seen this in wherever? And just preach it. It might be what you might be preaching over here and you might be a friend over here. And all it is is you simply opening up your mouth and saying, hey, 
Have you ever considered this? I, I love doing this. I love doing this. I would do this wherever I was. I was just bringing the word of God to bear upon people. And it, it was amazing just to see uh, people's lives uh, being transformed in that sense. So it could be just talking and allowing the word of God to come out. You know, it, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be like some, you know, and I'm all for this too. Let's get a group together and let's go evangelize. You know, I, I'm all for that too. But uh, also I'm for just kind of a natural approach. And I think this chapter that we're looking at is an example of a natural approach. Yes, he needed to go through Samaria, but also he just kind of sat down and he was weary and he needed a physical drink of water. And then the next thing he knows, he's having a conversation with this woman about some super deep things. Amen? And yeah. I think somebody said... Somebody, I don't know who said this, and maybe we should research this, but someone said, you know, don't talk about religion and politics with people. And the problem with that is that everybody, if you bring up religion and politics now, it's just everything goes out of crazy and everything's wild and how dare you and whatever. What happened with being able to talk about two of the most fundamental things that we should have in our society, a good politics and a faith in the, in the Lord God of creation. Amen? And so I think, not in a beating it over and Bible thumper and KJV and here we go and we're going to you know, save you, but being a natural Christian that's just simply like, hey, this is what is naturally a part of my life. And um, th th there's always, I think over the last several years, let's say the last 10, 15 years, I think you could definitely say that, that I mean, something shifted. I felt it around 2000 or a little after that. There was just a, it was a real shift. I don't know what happened, but it just, everything just culturally just kind of went, I don't know if it was the internet, probably was the internet. And, and everything just kind of shifted. But you know what? This is the message of Jesus Christ. And uh, we need to just be people that just share that lovingly with people. And I think, I, you know, some people will give you the, you know, talk to the hand. <laughs> I, had, I was on a flight. When, when I was on my flight back from Israel, I, I sat down. I, I was seated next to one of the Hasidic Jews, you know, the guys with the little curly hairs coming down and other things. And... Um, and he saw that I was an American, and I guess I just looked like a Christian, you know. And, um, and I wasn't even with my group and anything. And he just, right at the beginning of the flight, he was like, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> seriously, seriously. He let me know. So every once in a while, you get that. But, you know, I think that's actually fairly rare. I think people do want to hear it. And I'm actually convinced that people have less of an understanding because... The church has gotten away from teaching and, uh, you know, the word as, you know, in the way that it used to be taught. And there's a, there's a greater degree of biblical illiteracy within the church and outside the church. Oh, my goodness. It's a biblical illiteracy across the. It's a famine of hearing the word of God that Amos prophesied about. Um, and so we just need to be those people that bring the word of God to bear upon people's lives. So um, 
Let me just tell you, let me just tell you an example from my own life, and this is, this is what happened with Mary Jo and I. We had, um, you know, I think sometimes God redeems situations. Sometimes you do things in life, and maybe you just, you know, you thought like, hey, this was the way to go, and this is the way it's going to happen, and this is the way it's going to go down, and you, you, you learn a little bit later that, no, that wasn't the way that it was going to happen, and that wasn't the way that it was going to go down. But anyways, Mary Jo and I got a great idea back when we were in college, and we said, well, we're going to get married. And the problem is we don't have enough money to get married, and so we're in college. You know, we're poor college kids. And so what we need to do is we need to sit out a semester from college and make some money so we can get married, and then we'll come back to college. I don't know. We, we, were, we were geniuses, right? <laughs> so anyways, we did this. We left Florida. We moved back to Virginia. And we were going to get jobs right as the depth of the, uh, the recession was hitting in 1991 and when the Gulf War started. So you had the recession, you had the Gulf War, and then we're sitting out of college we're going to get jobs and make a bunch of money so that we can get married. So anyway, so what did we do? We went and we got jobs at the Sizzler because it was the only place that we could get a job. I mean, we even sat in on... Oh, I don't even want, I don't want to go there. D, ask me later, D&D marketing. Okay, but anyways... <clears throat> So we, so we got a job at the Sizzler, waiting tables, and, um, and Mary Jo was awesome. She was the best Sizzler waitress in the history of Sizzler waitresses. And I'm not, I, I know I'm biased, but I'm serious. It's, it is true. She was awesome. So anyways, um, after we had been working there for a little bit, uh, they, they hired this new cook. And this new cook was uh, just a young kid. I think he was a senior in high school. And he was just uh, just kind of a smart aleck kid. And he asked me, you know, he said, well, you know, what, 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 what are you about? What are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm uh, in college. You know, right now I'm not in college, but I'm, I'm, in, I'm in college. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm studying to be a minister. I'm studying to be a pastor. And so he was such a smart aleck that he said, oh, yeah, okay, you're going to be a pastor? Well, what did God create on the third day? He starts quizzing me. He thinks he's smart, right? So I said, okay, we can do this. And um, so I start just giving him stuff, and I started bringing my Bible in in a duffel bag and keeping it in the back storeroom. And I would talk to him, and I would take, he would go back there because he'd need some things for cooking and whatever, cooking steaks or whatever it is. And, and so I would show him, I'd, I'd, I'd show him my Bible. I'd say, yeah, this, this is a Bible. And, I, and, I, and, and we'd talk, and we'd, I'd answer questions. So after a little while, after a few weeks of this went on and on, I finally said, okay, I'm going to ask this guy to meet me at church. I'm going to invite him to church, okay? So I invited him to church. And I said, um, my dad's the pastor of the church, and I want you to come to the, to the church, to the service. And it's at this time, and I want, I want you to meet me about 15 minutes before the service, 
and come in. I'll be waiting for you in the, you know, in the foyer. So about that time, I walked into the foyer, and I'm sitting there waiting. I'm leaning against the wall, and I'm just, and I'm thinking, there's, you know, he's not going to come, you know? But sure enough, here he comes, comes walking up. And I said, okay, let's, let's go. So we walk into the service. We sit down about, you know, four or five rows back in the center. And, you know, the whole thing, the worship and the whole thing, and then, you know, the preaching happens, and, the, you know, the, the word is preached and all this. And there was an invitation. There was an invitation to receive Christ. And, you know, if you want to receive Jesus, raise your hand and then eventually, you know, come on down. And the whole time I'm looking over and trying to see what's going to happen and no hand, nothing, nothing. You're going, ah, come on, you know, trying to, you know, trying to reel this one in, right? (laughs) So, I turned to him. Everybody's already responded to the altar call. They've already gone forward. And we're just standing there. And I looked over at him and I said, I, I, I was literally thinking, okay, Charles, do something. You know, he didn't respond. He didn't raise his hand. He's not going forward. What, you know, we got we to gotta do something about this situation. Do something. So I, I, I just said to him, I looked over at him and I said, what about you? What about you? And he said, I need to change. I need to change. And right there, I prayed with him to receive Christ. And I began to personally disciple him. He, he would always, this, this guy, I'm telling on this guy. He was one of these guys, I don't know, he was young, he was 18 years old. And he always, I don't know where he got, I guess he would go cash his checks and, and have like a, just a bunch of wad of bills in his pocket. And so he was always like flashing like, you know, this wad of 20s and everything. Because he, he thought he was cool. And uh, so he said, uh, I said to him, I said to him, uh, you know, you need to get a Bible. You know, this is after the fact we were meeting, meeting back up. I said, you need to get a Bible. And he said, okay, well, how much are they? And, and he had his money out and I said, it'd be 50 bucks. <laughs> so, so I took him up to the Christian bookstore and I got him a $50 Bible. Yeah. That's what, that's what you get for flashing your money around. And, uh, and so, <laughs> and so I said, here's what you need to do. I need, you need to start reading and I'm going to tell you, open up, see this book. It's called John. And I want you to just start reading the gospel of John. And so he starts reading it. And uh, one day he comes to me at work. A couple days later, he's, he's reading through. And he said, he said, Charles, did you know that Jesus healed a man who was born blind? I said, oh, he's gotten to chapter 9. <laughs> I'm like, that's good. That's good. I said, yeah. And we just began to walk him through all that whole process of discipleship. And so he became my brother in Christ. Amen. And then a few years later, he became my brother-in-law and married Mary Jo's sister. And so today, he's, that's my brother-in-law, Jason Griffith, who's a police officer in uh, the city of Bartow, Florida. He's a detective. So anyways, so, you know, part of it is just being a person who can be available 
to, to talk and to share your life and to, and to, and, and it's somebody that you know. It's somebody that, you know, that you're kind of talking with on a regular basis maybe or, or something. It doesn't have to be. It can be somebody that, that, um, that you don't meet that often. So anyways, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to leave it there for tonight with the desire to go, the desire to go. And then next week, we're going to pick it back up with the rest of this message, okay? So what I want to leave you with tonight is, is kind of the desire, the willingness. You would be amazed at how God will use you. You will be amazed at um, if you just kind of become available. I remember a song... Uh, back in the, you know, I guess the 80s. And it was called, I am available. I am available. And you know what? That's what God is looking for. Um, I think people think they've got to be, you know, kind of this master, you know, evangelizer. They've got to have all their, uh, you know, they've got to have everything, you know, a Bible degree over here. And they've got to have a certificate from the, you know, Ravi Zachariah School of, uh, of uh, you know, apologetics over here. And you know what? That's great. That, all that is wonderful and, 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 are, and are useful tools. But there's a lot of people that have studied all that up and are not available <laughs> to, to just simply be a person that lets the living water come up and be given to somebody else. And you don't, you don't know what God's going to do in your life. But the first place in being a person, a witness, is having the desire to go and to be used by the Lord.